Ron and Anian. The Giants' loss really affected Tony that badly, huh? Well, not only that, but the Yankees lost this week, too. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Tony Tony was a two-time loser this week. You killed him, didn't you? No, 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 no. He called me yesterday, and uh, I don't know. I think he's got the sports flu. The car doctor. The spare is sort of like the Rodney Danger field of the car. It's just the part that we give no respect and no thought to until we need it. When, as you say, we get that flat on Friday and we can't get back to our mechanic, what do you do? No respect from anybody, anybody. You kidding? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. Um, I don't think we give that out often enough. Let me do that one more time. Hey, it's Ron and Andy. 855-560-9900. That number you can call anytime, day or night. The show is live on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. But you can call the aforementioned 855-560-9900 anytime. And leave a message. An executive producer, chief cook, bottle washer, and today board operator, Tom Thomas Ray III will be glad to um, uh, call you back and get you in the live queue for the broadcast that we uh, do the following week. Yes, sir. Right, pr- providing that Ron uh, deposits the quarter when he's supposed to. Well, I give you six quarters so you can take six calls a week. Um, you know, I, I make it so that, you know, listen, this is a very affordable show. We're just on a little bit of a budget. There were more uh, than six calls last week, and you didn't come up with any other quarters. Well, it's because we, I thought we were using slugs. Um, oh, did I say that? Um, but, you know, th- think about... <laughs> Think about, you know, just on a different subject, right? We were talking about technology last hour, and uh, the, the fellow called up with the tire pressure sensors that he took out, and how did he get around the warning on the dashboard? Think about how te- te- technology has ruined crime. I mean, it's created crime, but it's ruined crime, right? You, know, you can't put slugs in the, answer, in, the, in, the, in the telephone booth anymore. Are there telephone booths anymore? Are there pay phones anymore? I've seen them, very few and far between, but I have seen them, so they do exist. Really? I was watching an episode... What was I watching this morning? I was on YouTube, and somehow I came across the Cosby Show. Remember the Bill Cosby Show where he was the gym teacher somewhere? And and I came across the very first one, and I was looking at it because of the cars that are in it. There was a 68 Mustang Fastback and a, and a 57 Corvette in the opening sequence, and Vic Tayback was in the show. He was working in a garage as a mechanic. I mean, this goes way back. This is 71. And he was in a payphone. I was like, wow, a phone booth. Like, you haven't seen... You know, you, you, you walk in a comedian, you come out a sex offender. I mean, it was just, like, amazing. Look how it transforms everybody. That's <laughs> you know, many moons ago, it was funny. When you, when you had to get a hold of somebody, now, I used to carry a pager instead of a cell phone, and I used to have to go find a pay phone if my pager went off. It's like, it, nowadays, I, I could, they can find me anywhere, and one of these days, I'm just going to throw the cell phone down the sewer, and, and you know. You, you just can't. I remember, and we're way off the subject of cars, folks, and I'm sorry. I still remember when the kids were young, and we would go to the mall. You know, and that was when you're a young married couple, you can't afford to go anywhere. You have two kids and then three kids. So you, everybody's in the stroller and walking and holding hands. And we got a Motorola cell phone. And I tell this story all the time, but it still cracks me up. That thing was the size of a, it was, my laptop is smaller than that phone was. And it was the coolest thing. You know, we could take phone calls right from the baby carriage. You know, and, and, and I still remember the one lady who said, wow, a baby carriage with a phone? She goes, what do you do for the living? Well, you know. I can't really tell you, but it's a branch of the federal government. She's like, 
Really? They equipped cell phones in baby carriages? Yeah, because, you know, we're on call 24-7. Well, I remember years ago being down at Disney World with the family. You know, I was down doing a broadcast for the station I was working for, and I had one of those phones as well with several spare batteries thrown over my shoulder. We're sitting by the pool, and I got the phone sitting there, and it's... <laughs> and that was a great phone. Oh, they were excellent. That was a great phone. I'm sorry I, I'm sorry I tossed it. I would have saved that and put it in the Ronanini Museum uh, for when I retire next week. Um, anyway, what the heck did I want to open and talk about today in the opening? Wait, let me look at my notes here, because I kind of forgot what the heck we were going to... Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. I had a technology. Here we go. 2014 Honda. Right? Where are we going with dashboard warning lights and technology? A 2014 Honda CRV came into the shop Thursday, and she was the daughter of a regular customer, first time for her. And there were six dashboard warning lights on. One TPMS light was on flashing, and uh, vehicle stability control, brake lamp, a check engine, um, traction control, you name it, it was on. I mean, the thing looked like a Christmas tree. So I, you know, where do you start? You always start the diagnosis at the beginning. And 57,000-mile car, and I just couldn't help but notice that all four tires looked like slicks. Literally, no tread, all right? Just slicks. And I said, now, and, and, and understand, in 12 and 13, Honda got away from using a direct tire pressure system. There's no sensors in the wheels anymore. It's based on what else? Tire diameter, so they measure the, the, the rolling circumference based on vehicle speed off the ABS sensors. So I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe the ABS sensors, you know, maybe the, the tire condition has something to do with the TPMS, but why the rest of the warning lights are on, I don't know. So we brought it in. We agreed to do a diagnosis, and you know, let's put four tires on it. Let's make it safe. We'll give it back to her for the weekend and, and, and see where we end up. So naturally, we scanned for codes, and there was there was a bunch of codes: um, vehicle-related, engine stability, vehicle stability, traction control, lost communication, and one stood out, and it was a fault code for the brake fluid level switch in the master cylinder. Sure enough, we looked at the brake fluid level switch, and it was down on its contacts because the brake fluid was low. Well, when we did the four tires, because we did do four tires on the car, we noticed that the car was in need of brakes. So because the vehicle owner didn't do proper maintenance and stay on top of vehicle condition, but, I, but I've been doing that, Ron. I really have. I, I, I take it in for oil changes all the time. But either she didn't heed the warning or nobody looked, and I'd, I'd give her the benefit of the doubt. She was a pretty sharp person. She said, you know, and, and, and we ended up, we did four tires, and it, four tires, and it's coming due for four brakes. Because it needed brakes, the fluid in the master cylinder dropped low enough that it turned the switch on, turned on the rest of the dashboard warning lights, and by simply adding fluid and putting tires on the car, the problem solved. What does that say about technology, right? You know, everything, and I, I never would have bet that something so simple would create so much of a warning. Now, years ago, and this is where I'm going with this, years ago, I remember Japanese cars were among the first that if there was one thing wrong in one system, they would turn on one, two other lights. They kind of wanted to get your attention. You know, they wanted, to, you know they, they wanted you to see the guy out in front of the car waving the flag going, hey, do something. Now they're really getting hardcore, right? They're turning on multiple lights, flashing lights, 
and they're creating a condition that you're uncomfortable driving the car. But rightfully so. Look at the condition this car was in. Do you know how long it takes for four tires to be worn down to slicks? I mean, no tread. And to the point that probably within the next 3,000 miles, this car will be brakes metal on metal. I guess maybe they're engineering things for people that aren't taking it to the right shop. I'll say it like that, that aren't doing the right service to, you know, the warnings are being built in to capture somebody's attention. Put in $3 worth of brake fluid, put a bunch of tires on the car, turned off all the lights. They haven't been back since. Car's fixed. Just, just something different. Just when you think it's going to be so complicated, sometimes you know my college professor, keep it simple, son. Uh, you know he was. Uh, you know I, I always think kiss, and you know just just keep it simple because it doesn't have to necessarily be more complicated than that. And uh, don't ever forget that. Let's go to talk to Marty in Louisiana, 2010 Lincoln Town Car, and some issues with the passenger front door lock. Hey, Marty, what's going on? Yeah, hi, Ron. Uh, nice to speak to you. You too, uh, sir. That's right. That's right. The um, passenger side door lock doesn't respond to, you know, the feature when you press the button to lock all the doors. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's just completely out. I don't know if it's a wire or I'm confused if it might be uh, something that needs to be, um, you know, <clears throat> scanned with a meter, you know. Or well, you could you could surely, it, would, it, it wouldn't hurt to throw a scan tool on it just to do a body scan just to see if there are any faults in there. Um, and yeah, it could be a broken wire in the door jam. That's always possible, too. But likely what's going to end up happening is the door panel is going to come apart, and you're going to have to go to the connector for the lock actuator. It should be a two-wire actuator buried inside the door. And, you know, put another electrical device across it. Sometimes, uh, you know, it wouldn't hurt just to put a bulb across it or, or a test light or, uh, you know, it, it, just to look to see if you if you activate it, do you see voltage in the ground? It's just they're just putting a they're providing an alter, alternating power and ground to that, depending upon which way the uh, button is pushed. It's just a simple reverse forward magnetic motor. Um, and they have been known to fail. Not would not be the most uncommon. One of the reasons why I also tend to go to the door after I look for the obvious, you know, fault was the car ever in an accident, things like that. Is um, it, it, it is possible? I've got a linkage issue such, such that something is bound or rusting and bound up, and it won't be able to pull and and, and make it move. Um, but short of that, there's there's really not much else you can do with it. So I should look for a wire. I took the door panel off the other side. The actuator had a pin that fell off, a clasp, and um, I put that back on. It's been fine ever since. So I've been in there before on the driver's side door. But the passenger side, yeah, I should take the door panel off and see if I'm getting voltage. And, yeah, if, you're, um, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're familiar with it, take the door panel off, find the actuator, unplug it. should have a two-wire connector. And you should have power and ground, and then one way it's going to show power and ground, and then the other way it's going to show negative power and ground. It's going to be reverse polarity. And if you've got signal to the actuator, then it's just a bad actuator. All right? Mm -hmm. you, can, you can follow the actuator up to the linkage where it connects to the linkage and try cycling it by hand. And if it cycles by hand, that means the linkage inside the door is free and easy to move. Then it's just going to be an actuator. There's not much else it can be. All right, sir? Okay, well, great, Ron. Thanks a lot. You're um, welcome, Ron. Uh, I appreciate it, and uh, I'll I'll do that. I'll right. act upon that. All right, you're very good, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. And uh, call back if you have any other questions. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron, any of the car doctor coming back right after this.
for the best in car advice, give Ron a call, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Hey, by the way, I know um, everybody's been waiting for this, but down around the bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by Bill Brunner. He is the general manager of Paramus Chevrolet right here in New Jersey, and uh, Bill and I uh, chatted uh, over the last couple of weeks about a bunch of things, and I thought it was a great conversation, very timely. See, people don't realize when I go in and I start talking to them, I'm actually interviewing them to see, hey, has this guy got something to say at the national level? And I think Bill does to talk about the uh, automobile business and some of the changes he's seen over his career, and he's going to be joining us a little bit, so I look forward to that. Steve Cook has written a book about OBD2. We've had Steve on the show from time to time. He's an instructor out in Ohio, I believe it is. And um, I was I was reading the excerpts of it, and um, I like what he says. Uh, oh, code types. He starts talking about OBD2. When diagnosing an OBD2 vehicle fault, it is important to consider the type of code that has been set. Different diagnostic strategies may, be, may need to be used. Some code types are easier to diagnose than others. We'll start with what's referred to as a history code, and then he, begins, he goes in and he explains what a history code is. History codes are codes that have been set sometime in the past. We know the time a history code is stored is limited by key starts or other means. However, history codes can be likened to having had a broken arm at one time, while an x-ray may show evidence of the arm being broken at one time. The arm has since healed, and it is no longer broken. A history code indicates it existed at one time, but currently the fault is not present. Um, bottom line, Steve is explaining things, very technical things in everyday common language. And um, I think the book is in pre-press. I don't think it's published yet. Uh, he had sent me an advanced copy, and I've got to tell you, when this book comes out, I think it's going to be a must-read for a lot of people, technicians and technician students and, uh, you know, the, the listeners to this radio show, the, the, the Weekend Warriors, because, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's just common everyday language. Uh, being being put into what is a very technical subject. So uh, kudos to Steve. I like what I'm reading, Stephen. And, uh, you know, keep it coming. Good job. Um, a quick piece of email, a couple of emails. I want to get some email out of the way. Sorry, we got Lucy the Wonder Dog in here with us. Lucy, okay? I just dropped a bunch of papers on her. Sorry, baby. Um, from Fred. Fred writes, I own a 1985 BMW 318i with 73,000 miles on it, having a speedometer issue. Sometimes it works when starting out, then it will drop to zero. Other times it won't show speed. What could be the cause, and how do I fix? Get a new instrument panel, or any advice would be appreciated, Fred. Fred, these um, if memory serves me correct, there's a couple of things this could be. This could be the sensor at the trans um, uh, that that drives it. I believe this was an electronic speedometer. Uh, this is one of the early electronic speedometers. They had problems with the signal generator out of the transmission. They also had problems with the speedometer, the the, the speedometer motor. Um, at, at, at the instrument cluster itself, and it would have to be repaired. There's some serious diagnostic steps that have to be done in order to pr be accurate. Um, you need to get it into a shop and let them do some voltage readings and measurements. 85 was a, uh, an interesting year for BMW. This is when BMW was leading the charge in terms of uh, electrical diagnostics. And, you know, it's, it's not necessary that you have to change the whole instrument cluster. Likely there's going to be repair internally to different pieces and parts. And this one, I thought this was a great question. Ron, how will, I think all, they're all great questions, just some of them just capture my imagination. Ron, how will all these new LED headlights and taillights work on cars in the cold winter areas like Wisconsin? The old halogens heated up to melt ice and snow from the light bezels while driving. The LEDs are cool or cold. Won't they just freeze over now? We have a 2018 Jeep Wrangler with these kind of lights. First winter's coming. I noticed in a Jeep aftermarket catalog that you can order LED lights with and without heaters built in. Apparently, the heaters can melt ice. I'm not sure the factory thought of that yet. Your thoughts? I've, I've, I've got to tell you, Steve, I, you know what? It's an excellent question. Mr. Ray, do they, uh, but LEDs are cool to the touch, correct? 
they do produce a certain amount of heat, but they yes, they are cool to the touch because they don't draw that much current. So you know? it, it it is an interesting comment. It it, it is, um, you know, where when you take a look at at brighter LEDs, for example, like tower lights, um, people don't realize that that top flashing bulb on the tower is twelve hundred watts. Um, that's a, and that's a lot of power. The LED version of that bulb will take, oh, maybe 100 watts. But that 100 watts of heat has to get dissipated someplace. So there's a big mama heat sink on there. Um, but it does produce 100 watts of heat. So the LEDs do produce heat in quantity. Right, but not. So. But you know, you wonder if it's enough to melt ice and snow in 32 degrees. Um, Steve makes some really great comments here. I'm going to say, you know, I haven't thought of that one yet. I, I haven't seen it as a complaint. I haven't seen anybody, you know, make a statement about it. Now, I, I wonder if the surrounding lights, like I'm thinking about the new plow truck. The new plow truck has what I believe are LED lights, uh, LED headlights up front. No, they're HIDs. I'm sorry, they're HID lamps in the 20 in the 2019 Silverado. So it does not have LED headlights. Um, so I'm wondering, so maybe we don't run LEDs. Steve, you know what? I'm going to have to look at the Wranglers. Do they really have LED headlights? If they do, then there's got to be a way around it. If they don't, then that's the answer to the question. But, yeah, that's a that's an interesting concept. Here we go again, right? Technology is is just every time we change something, there's something else to think about. And it, it used to be that a car just, you got in it, and it was simple, and it took you from A to B. Now it's just an event just trying to go anywhere. Um, you know, how technology has changed and evolved. And again, I've said this before and I'll say it again, you know, that technology comes at a price because you think about parts availability, you think about uh, the training, the skill set. I was reading an article on one of the forums this morning, talked about a mechanic was talking about he had a 2016 Chevy Silverado that had sat in water. It was a flood vehicle and they were fixing it and the electric power steering stopped working. And in order to get it to work, they had to replace the belt. There's an, a belt that's on an electric motor that drives the pump or the device that runs the electric power steering. There's a tuning fork that you tighten the belt until it produces. When you thump the belt, it produces a certain amount of frequency to tell you, is the belt just tight enough? Who's got that kind of technology? Who can afford the tooling? Remains to be seen. I'm Ron Annie, The Car Doctor. Coming up next, Bill Brunner, Paramus Chevrolet. Stay tuned. Don't go away. When the family car needs some fixing, there's only two things that really matter, getting the right part and getting some good advice. It's a pretty safe bet that with over a million parts in stock, Pep Boys has the right part right now. The Pep Boys pros are extensively trained to find the right part for just about any car or truck. Better yet, these pros can also handle the entire installation or service needed. It's always good to have options and know the Pep Boys pros have it covered either way. Welcome back. We're on the Indian Car Doctor. You know, there's nothing more exciting to me than that new car dealer experience. You know, it's it's 
it's it's right up there with watching your kids being born and, and and grow up and it's just so exciting to walk out onto that new car showroom and just you know that ah the energy of it you know and it's it's just a good time and and and, and i enjoy it each and every time but it had been a while since i was i purchased my last new car about 11 years and i was very very surprised and 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 actually i don't know if the word is relieved but you know overcome to a degree of how pleasant an experience it was i went down to Paramus chevrolet here locally in new jersey a couple of weeks back purchased a, a new 2019 silverado great truck i like it so much i'm afraid to drive it i don't want to wear it out uh you know i want to keep it a million years and you know the whole experience just walked in and i watched i watched the wheels as they turned and the process that occurred and i said i wonder if everybody is aware of the effort that is being made to explain the technology that's on the showroom floor and you know the answer i came up with in my head was i don't think so i think everybody goes in there with a little bit maybe of a chip on their shoulder or they're timid they're just afraid they wonder they're scared it's it's overwhelming well i'm here to help you sort it out i've reached out to someone i consider to be at the at the at the at the tip of the sword and um, an expert in this area he's been in this business a long long time bill brunner he's the general manager of premise chevrolet and we're glad to have him here with us on the car doctor bill welcome aboard sir great ron glad to be here you talk about excitement on the showroom floor I said, that's what we feel every time we sell a car. Yeah, uh, I, you know, and Bill, I could, I could sense that. You know, like, I, I know you guys like to sell cars, but you really like to sell cars. It was... It was like glee. It was it was just a joyful moment, you know, as everybody, you know, congratulations, and here's your new keys, and we're happy for you, and thank you for purchasing Chevrolet. And, I mean, it was just the enthusiasm. Um, it's a great team there. It really is, and it's just a, it's a great experience. Um, y- y- you've been in the business a long time. Compare what goes on today to, to 10 years ago, 20 years ago. How has it changed? Hey, when I, when I first started in the business, we looked through inventory on an index card. Uh, now you can't do that. We, we have 700 cars available to us. So, uh, you know, it takes a little bit of search technology to be able to find the car that's even sitting on our own lot or in one of our storage lots or, or coming to us from Chevrolet. But, you know, with a, with a couple of clicks, we can find the right color and the right equipment that you're looking for. Uh, that's, a, that's a dramatic change. And then, of course, once we find the car, we got to find the right, you know, the right program for you, whether you're leasing or buying or going to pay cash and when i started in the business we had a we had a book and you looked up how much it cost to borrow a thousand dollars and you had to multiply that out to come up with a, a finance number I, now I, we have a, I, I remember back in the day the local chevy dealer used to put brown paper in front of the glass in september right yeah. because the new car unveiling and then they would take the brown paper off the glass the next day and there were your new models but but now you know Chevrolet for example you're continuously rolling out new models and changes and they just they just keep coming but yet you guys do a great job of not overwhelming the the buyer I mean you're always keeping everybody informed what kind of effort does that take I think it's the same kind of thing where we we keep track of every customer uh, they come in and look at a particular car and and maybe they they, they don't buy now they come back later or they buy a car and we keep track of what's going on in the service department. And, how many miles they have on it, and what kind of, you know, what kind of service they've had over the years. Um, so we know what's going on. So in the end of two and a half years, you know, we can start talking to them about replacing that car if it's a three-year lease, you know, if it's wherever it comes in. When we have a new 2019 Silverado coming out, we start to look at the, the people that are in the prior generation that might be ready 
to buy a car because their miles is up that we can see in the service department. And right. You offer them that opportunity to come in and look. You're not getting my truck back, Bill. I love my truck. <laughs> uh, you, you can't have it. i got to keep it for a while yet. It's a great truck. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm stunned. My 2008 was a great vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got to tell you, the 2019, it's just light years ahead. It just the yeah. way it rides and handles, and and just the overall fit and feel. They really, they really, really got that truck right. Um, I I can't say enough about it. Um, when you look at, you know, and and, and what one of the things I want to talk about before I go there, I, I want to hit this question first. I was thinking. You know, there's so many choices today, right? It used to just be back when you started, when I started working on cars, it's a gas engine. That was all that was available, right? Um, you know, now it's diesel, it's electric, it's hybrid, it's it's gas. Do you think, you know, diesel, let's start there. Do you think diesel is, is still that alternate power source that they're chasing, or does it just have specific applications, specific vehicles? Well, certainly, you know our Duramax, our big, our big Silverado, uh, big engine in the in the Silverado, it offers you know great performance and balance with economy and and able to pull some big stuff. But uh, we have diesels in, you know, the smaller cars and the Cruze and the Equinox, uh, and even the small truck, the Colorado. But you know, right now the the whole diesel thing is kind of up in the air because of Volkswagen. But I have to tell you, I was in Ireland. Couple weeks ago, and all they have is diesels on the on the on the street for the most part. And I drove one for a week, and it was it was a terrific car. Huh. Um, I, you know, I, I think the market's got to come back around to appreciate that the diesels are running clean. Uh, they're quiet. The fuel's available. It's not like it was ten years ago. Right. And it, it seems like you know it seems like the, the the vehicles, the alternate sources, whether it's diesel or electric or gas. Any issues that come up along the way, it seems like a lot of the stuff is easier fixed today because it's a lot of times it's software. Yeah, we'll put a flash in it. We'll change the program and we'll modify this. We'll modify that. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it had to come in. Parts had to be replaced. There were, you know, recalls were harder than I think. Is, is, is that a fair statement? Yeah, and there's a lot of technology on the car today. So and that's one of the reasons why the diesels can run clean and get the right power. But it's the same with the gas engines. I mean, there's, there's, um, uh, multiple computers on there and and uh, and systems to keep the emissions uh, you know the emissions low and the and gas mileage up and still give you proper performance. Right. You know, the so car car starts nice when it's cold and it runs good when it's hot. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, if, if there are recalls, often the recalls are things where they're just reprogramming or changing timing curves or fuel ratios um, uh, because there's a they found a, a better algorithm to make the car run better. You know what really impressed me, and I'm going to embarrass you here, Bill, I'm sorry, but what really impressed me about you is I was looking at the Google reviews for Paramus Chevrolet. Now, I don't know if that really, I guess that really is you, but there's somebody on there called Bill Brunner, general manager of Paramus Chevy, and you're answering all, you're answering all the reviews. And, and yeah, I, was, that, I was stunned. I was like, wow, look at this. Um, yeah. uh, where do you find the time? Well, you know, Google's a wonderful thing. Uh, it pops up on my phone and says that somebody just left you a one-star review or a five-star review. And you know, certainly if they leave us a five-star review, I want to say thank you, um, you know, for, for doing that. And, I, you know, find a minute here and there in between the busy day or at the end of the day. But I'm more interested in the one-star review. What did we do wrong? What can we do better? And, I, and I'll follow up with those people and ask them, what happened? Let me know. Um, you know, and and a good number of people are they're they're willing to tell me what went wrong, and and we take corrective action. So 
we use that information to, you know, uh, change our process, do some training, and if hey, if we made a mistake, we want to fix it. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I I was aware of that. I mean, the whole process by which you know, first I made an inquiry about a truck. With me, it just started as I made an inquiry about a truck. I didn't, I don't I never tell anybody who I am. I just I just want to be one of the herd. And you know, the the internet specialist reached out to me and they said, "Come on in and see us." And um, I specifically came in when they weren't expecting me because I'm sneaky like that. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and I saw I bumped into Andy in the showroom, and you know, Andy and I took a liking to each other right away. We're a couple of old car guys. We get it. Yeah. And uh, you know, the relationship took off from there. But uh, you know, it's it's. I, I guess what I'm thinking is that the technology. Do you think the technology of the car and the process and and what they're trying to do puts people off a little bit. Do you think people come in apprehensive and nervous? Well, you know, the, the, the buying process has changed. Again, years ago, when you wanted to go look at a car, you went to the showroom, and, you know, you kicked the tires, and a guy, you know, told you the, the features and benefits of the car and maybe took you for a drive, or maybe your neighbor told you about it. Today, the customer's coming in sometimes with more knowledge than we have about that one specific car because he's done the research. So go to the Internet and go to the, to the sites that specialize in, you know, in, in the product. They can do comparisons. They go to Google, and they can find out about us, um, what's going on. And, and then they call, and they call and you know, call, talk to one of our Internet specialists who gives them some more information and schedules them for an appointment, and then eventually they show up. So they've already had a lot of interaction with the car right. before we see them the first time. Right. Yeah, the, the Internet sure has changed things, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Bill, where can the listeners go get more information? We're going to come back. I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back another time. I want to talk to you more about the Internet, but the clock's going to grab us today. Um, if anybody out there is interested and they want to talk to what I consider the best, uh, the best of the best, where can they find more information about you guys? Well, it's great. You can just visit us at ParamusChevyChevrolet.com. Yeah, take a ride down Route 17 in New Jersey. Bill, I know you're busy today. I'm sure Saturday in the car dealership's a uh, a busy time of the day. So thanks for uh, thanks for being here with us today. All right, sir. Great, great talking to you, Ron. You too. Bye bye. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Don't call us. That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. Hey, you know, Tom, that was a good interview. I wonder, you know, and that's just the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. You know, I'd love to pick Bill's brain further on the internet. Also, you wonder, you know, he talked about programs. They did do that. You know, when I was there, they, you know, do you qualify for this? Were you a veteran? Were you a teacher? Were you, you know, this and that? The way you can finance a car today, probably talking to the finance guy. I'm going to see if I can get Robert Davidson from Paramus Chevy on. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're, an, if you're a recently graduated student, if you're a new student, right. if you're, you know, I mean, there's, right. a, there's, there's a lot of ways to oh, afford a car more yeah. so than just walking in and buying it. Exactly. Uh, you know, and people don't realize that. So um, that's something we've got to talk about. Let's go to talk to Maynard in Illinois, some comments about tires and spare tires and things like that. Maynard, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help, sir? Welcome. To, uh, thank you. Uh, Thanks for taking my call again. Uh, just an incident happened at work. Well, this all go. Co-worker hit a fire. She called to get it changed on the road. Thought her spare was flat. She had never cleaned the tire in the years that she had the car. And everybody talks about cleaning tires, 
but he seemed to forget the spare. Yeah, you know, it's it's the spare tire is the Rodney Dangerfield of, of, of the part of the car. It seems that we don't think about it until we absolutely positively need it. And, you know, perhaps it's the fault of mechanics. Perhaps it's the fault of the designers. You know, they don't make it easy to get to. When we, when we change oil on cars in the shop... If it's a if it's a truck or something with an exposed spare, we're looking at the stem. Yeah, we always check it. It's just a matter of habit. It's a matter of policy. But for example, we'll get you know a Toyota Sienna minivan where the spare tire is buried under the back seat, and there's there's you know four tons of hockey equipment or soccer equipment, and there's just no way you're going to get to the spare, and you know you can't get to it. And it's it, it's an issue. I've often said that. Probably the best use of tire pressure monitoring systems, and not a lot of the car companies do it. A lot of car companies are still only four tire systems, whereas if they made it a fifth tire, if they put a sensor on the spare to turn the light on, that would make a lot more sense to me. But they don't. They well, only they only put it on the four that are on the vehicle, and maybe it's a cost savings thing. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's just. I just thought I'd let you know. Uh, ask you to let your listeners uh, know about it. Because my poor coworker was stuck by the side of the road for hours. Yep, and and listen, that can be a dangerous situation. We don't, you know, we don't think about that. If 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 you're in a bad spot, a dark road, um, uh, you know, a female. I mean, you know, it's it's a, it's it's a, it's a tough situation in the world today. And I always say the road is a very unforgiving place. Um, you know, and just it can even be something as simple, if I can say it like that, of being in a dark spot of the road. Somebody doesn't see you. You're in a dangerous situation. A car comes around to bend, depending upon where you have the flat. And yeah, you're right. It's 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 something that we've got to take more seriously. And uh, I, I want to thank you, Maynard. I'm bringing it to our attention. We appreciate it. Also, I want to thank you. Well, you're welcome, sir. I just, just recently what a um uh car and spare in it. They had one of those goofy little pumps, and I told not to get that one unless they put a spare in it. Right. Yeah, well, and that's, you know what, the spare tires, and like I said, it's, it's we, we, we take a lot for granted on cars, and we don't realize we got the problem until we have one. Maynard, i got to go. I'm up against the clock, sir. Thanks for taking the time. I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back, Ron and Andy, the car doctor. You know, this is, um, every week I do this show, and I, I keep thinking, you know, where will it take me next week, and so on and so forth, and the next, and the next week on. And I, I learn something each and every week, and each and every week at the shop I learn something. It's a compilation of, and, and um, it's just a good time to be here. The technology is first and foremost on my mind right now, and I, I think, part of me thinks the end of auto repair is near, and part of me thinks it'll go on in perpetuity simply because we're not we're not going to be able to keep up. I, I think the problems are are going to be consistent but different, and it, it sounds vague. When I was at Paramus Chevy uh, picking up my new truck, and I was talking to my friend Kevin Smith in service, and I was looking at what he was working on, and um, he was putting changing torque converters under warranty on a 2016 Colorado. And I asked him, I said, so, you know, have the repairs changed that much in the last five years, ten years, whatever time frame you want to go by? And he said, he said, the repairs are more consistent. And I thought this was interesting. He said, the repairs are more consistent in that when we get one bad part, we usually get ten bad parts. So, you know, he said, in one sense, 
the variety of the failures is limited to specific components that we can generally trace back to one vendor, and sometimes we can trace it back to a vendor on a Friday at 3 o'clock that that run, that part was just, there was something wrong with the process. He said computers have given us that in terms of manufacturing. He said, and then sometimes we get the car that people have picked that and worked on themselves, and by trying to fix it with old technology, they've made it worse because they don't understand the new technology. Auto repair is going to go on in perpetuity. I kind of think that's the answer, and I think there'll always be a need for me because I'm Ron Anany and the car doctor reminding you the mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. 